Praise the Lord. Four hundred years of silence. Four hundred years waiting for God to speak. Four hundred years of longing for God to do something. After Malachi, God went silent. And what felt like winter, no life, no hope, longing, waiting, anticipating. Israel was met with silence. And then, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears. Not to the wealthy, not to the powerful, not to the influential, but to a poor, teenage, virgin, betrothed girl from backwoods, Galilee. And the angel tells her, you are going to be the mother of the son of God. Feel the weight of that moment. Feel the weight of those words. What would you do? What did Mary do? In Luke chapter 1, we see the heart, the character, and the response of Mary to this news that she will be the mother of the Son of God. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We as a faith family are going through a sermon series called Holy Family. This Christmas, we are looking at the people who make up the Christmas story, who they are and what they did and what it means for us today. Two weeks ago, we looked at the scandalous family genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1, where Matthew gave us a good landscape, a survey from the lineage that leads to Jesus through the lineage of Joseph, his father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down through David and Solomon, through the kings of Judah, all the way down to Joseph. Last week, we looked at Joseph himself, the earthly father of Jesus. We saw in scripture that he was a, a godly man, he was a faithful husband, and he was an adoptive father, an incredible leader whom God called to love and lead and raise and shepherd Jesus to become the man that he would become. Now today, we're going to take a pivot, and we're now going to look at the life of Mary. We're going to see who this woman is, whom God called to be the mother of the Son of God. In Luke's gospel, we see that he has an audience to whom he's writing to. He begins in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, saying he's writing to most excellent Theophilus. 
That phrase, most excellent, means that this guy is probably wealthy. He probably financially undergirded Luke's research so that he could do his due diligence and write this orderly account. As, as we've seen as a church, especially back in 2023, as we've gone through the book of Acts, Luke is volume one, the book of Acts is volume two. There are two books, two volumes that go together into one set. And what Luke does is he writes a chronological, orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus, where Matthew's purpose in his gospel is primarily about proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He uses Old Testament references over and over and over, more than Mark, Luke, and John combined, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. That's his purpose. We see Mark's purpose is more about a geographical uh, purpose. In chapters 1 through 8 of Mark, uh, we, he focuses primarily on the ministry of Jesus in the north. In the chapters 9 through 16, he focuses on min Jesus' ministry down in the south. You get to John's gospel, he has a whole different approach in which he says in John 20, verse, oh, Bruce, 31, I write these things to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. He's saying the purpose of my gospel is to reach you for Jesus. I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus because he is God's Son. Luke's purpose, however, as we see in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, is a chronological orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus. He puts these things in order. He begins with the angel of the Lord appearing to Zechariah in the temple as he's performing his priestly duty. There we see that the angel tells him, your wife, yeah, I know she's really, really old. Guess what? She's about to become pregnant. Zechariah doesn't believe her, or I'm sorry, believe the angel, and so he is then said, well, guess what? You're not speaking until that baby boy is born, and that's exactly what happens, but then we see the angel of the Lord appear now to someone else, and that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, and the scripture says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. 
Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Of all the incredible women in the Bible, Mary stands above all the others as the most universally admired of them all. Mary was a normal teenage girl who was betrothed to be married to Joseph when she got the shocking news that she would be the mother of the Son of God. God sovereignly chose Mary to carry the Messiah for nine months and then to deliver, to nurse, to raise, nurture, love, and care for the Lord Jesus Christ. God showed extraordinary grace and favor upon Mary, and she undertook the weighty responsibility of raising the one who rules over the cosmos. In the text, I want you to notice the response of Mary to the news of her pregnancy and how it compels us to respond during Christmas. The celebration of Christmas, it compels us to, number one, like Mary, hear of God's gracious gift of his son. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and celebrates God's grace upon her life. God's favor is upon her. And he says, the Lord is with you. This is about to be foundational truth for her to hold fast to. It's bedrock for her to stand upon with the news that she is about to receive. You see, before she hears that she's about to become the mom of the son of God, the angel tells her who she is and who she has. That's a great lesson for us, that before we go out and serve the Lord, we need to know who we are and who we have. We are hidden in Christ, and we have the Lord Jesus Christ. That you, as a follower of Jesus, you root your identity in Christ. Jesus. You have to grab hold of this reality. Before Mary even hears about what's about to happen to her, we see the angel telling her, this is who you are. This is what you have. I want you to grab hold of this because what I'm about to tell you is about to shock you. It's about to rock the world. So hold fast to this. This is who you are. Mary hears that she is favored by God and has his presence in her life. What wonderful truth that applies to us today as well. That if you are in Christ, these two truths are foundational boulders upon which you can build your life. It's this. Jesus is God's favor upon you and God's presence with you. You see, God has given you his grace. He's given you his favor because his favor is Jesus. Jesus is God's favored son. 
And because of your faith in him, he now abides and lives inside of you. And so God's favor is already upon your life if you are in Christ. See, God's favor is not dependent upon the depth of your faith, but the object of your faith. All right, stay with me on that. There are some who, have to, who will tell you, you have to have big faith, big, strong faith, or you won't have God's favor. If you're in Christ, you already have it. You have God's favored son upon you. I'll say it like this. God's favor is not based on how strong your faith is, but who your faith is in. You have God's favored son within you, and he promises to be with you. That's what the angel is here is telling Mary. The Lord is with you. And if there's anything you can grab hold of today with two arms, with a white-knuckled grip today, is that if you are in Christ, the Lord is with you. He is with you. Remember one of the names that is given to Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, I love that word with. God is with us. The Lord is with you. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you go to work, when you go to bed at night and you're exhausted and full of anxiety, when you're just going through the motions and you're bored with life, when you feel like you just don't think you can go on, the Lord is with you. His presence is with you. He is in you. And over and over and over, we see throughout the New Testament, we see different verses saying the same thing. The Lord is with you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Over and over and over, God is saying, I I am with you. I am with my people. And not for a second am I going to forsake you. Not for a second am I going to walk away from you. Never will I divorce you. Never will I stiff arm you. Never will I be ashamed of you. I want you to know I am yours and you are mine forever. And there's nothing you can do about it. I love what Jesus says in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. And no one can snatch them from my hand. You are held in the omnipotent grip of Jesus. He's got you. The Lord is telling Mary, God's favor is upon you and the Lord is with you. Gabriel goes on to tell Mary, this son inside of you, he's gonna be called great. He will be called son of the most high. God will give him David's throne, which means that this son of Mary's is the fulfillment of God's promise to David hundreds of years earlier. That indeed the Davidic covenant finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Meaning what God told David, that I'm going to raise up for you a son that's going to sit on your throne forever. The angel is saying, Mary, he's inside of you. The fulfillment of that promise is now realized inside of you. He's going to rule and reign over Israel forever. The house of Jacob, another phrase for Israel. He's going to reign over them forever. The angel is telling Mary, in essence, your son, he is God, he is king, he rules, and he reigns over his kingdom forever. That's who's inside of you. I want you to know who this is inside of you, Mary. This is no ordinary baby. No ordinary child. Mary is in absolute awe. Blown away by this. But she asked the question, how can this be? I've not been sexually intimate with a man. 
Mary's a teenager, but she knows how babies come forth. I know we have kids in here, so I'm trying to be very up here, parents. But she knows how it works. It's just like, this, this is probably impossible. Like, it's not possible for this to happen. Okay? I've not been with Joseph, not with anybody else. But here's what's so good. The angel says, Mary, this is God's doing. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. God's power is going to accomplish this. This is God's son. So God is going to come upon you. And Mary understands this. And she grabs hold of this. Okay, oh my goodness. What the people of Israel have been longing for for thousands of years. As we have suffered under the Greeks, we have suffered under the oppression of the Romans. We are exhausted. God has been silent for 400 years. God, when are you going to move? And God is now revealing, I'm moving and I'm working. And Mary, I'm going to do it inside of you. You are receiving the promise that I have made the countless generations before you. It's now inside of you. You are now the conduit through which I'm going to fulfill my promise. You see, the Messiah that Mary and all of Israel has been looking forward to is going to be drinking out of a sippy cup at her kitchen table. Wrap your mind around this. The exalted king of the earth is going to come inside of her, her body. Have you ever received news that was just so shocking you almost had to sit down? Uh, August 14th, 2004, I stood at an altar and Christy, the most beautiful bride in the whole world, walks down the aisle towards me and I was like, oh my goodness, she showed up. (laughs) And then in front of hundreds of people, she declared her love for me and covenanted with me that she would marry me and I was like, I can't believe my dream is coming true. Knock me over with a feather. Shocking. Take the moment in your life that's been the most shocking news you've ever heard and multiply it times the Son of God. That's Mary. She is receiving the most shocking news that God himself is going to take up residence inside of her. He is going to live inside of her and her entire world, her entire life is about to change. Well, to encourage Mary in this miraculous work, Gabriel points her to Elizabeth, verse 36. Interesting here. Now, we know um, as we read our Bibles, the baby inside of Elizabeth is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. But this is a woman who's old. The Bible doesn't tell us how old she is, but her and Zechariah are old. It was shocking that she would ever get pregnant. That's how old she is. And she's with child. And so Gabriel is proving that God can do the impossible by pointing to Elizabeth. Okay, he's almost like he's encouraging Mary. Like, Mary, um, let me kind of solidify that this is real. I'm going to point you to something that's also miraculous. Is your relative, Elizabeth, guess what? She's pregnant too. I mean, talk about a birth announcement. You're saying Old lady Elizabeth is pregnant? That's what you're saying? And sure enough, that's 
What happens here? Gabriel is strengthening Mary's faith. He's pointing her to God's power to do the impossible. That's what the text says there. It's God can do the impossible. He can enable a really, really old woman to get pregnant. And God can do the impossible. He can enable a virgin to get pregnant. He is able. Nothing is impossible with God. And this virgin is going to be with child, which is fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7 that God prophesied hundreds of years earlier, and it's coming to fulfillment just as God promised. Isn't it good to be reminded that God is faithful, and he works, and he fulfills his promise? And he shocks the world by sending forth his son to a virgin girl in the backwoods town in Galilee. You see, Christmas time, it's time for us to hear this story again. To hear the story. To hear what God has done. To slow down our busy schedules. To silence our phones. To clear our calendar. And to hear this message again. Mary is hearing it for the very first time from Gabriel. You and I have the privilege of hearing it every year. What a great tradition. What a great reminder of the great things that God has done in sending forth his son. The second thing I want you to see in the text is the celebration of Christmas compels us to receive Mary's humble submission to the Lord's plan Like Mary, we humbly submit to the Lord and his plan for our lives. After Gabriel tells Mary who this is inside of her, she responds, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. I love how she postures her heart low and glad, humble submission. She knows who she is in light of God. She puts her yes on the table. She surrenders her life to him, her will, everything in the future that belongs to him. May it be done according to your word. Now think of the scandal that's coming with this. We unpacked this last week quite a bit with Joseph, but let's not skip over it. Here is a pregnant woman out of wedlock in a Jewish culture and which, according to Deuteronomy 22, was punishable by death by stoning. Her saying yes and submitting to the Lord's will in this way is bringing shame upon her family. It's going to cause chaos and relational friction between her and Joseph because Joseph is going to know he's not the father of that child. This is going to create huge waves of chaos in the community in which she is living. But she's willing, and she's graciously, humbly submitting to the will of the Lord. She's saying, Lord, you can use me however you see fit. God, use me to bring forth your son. She was posturing your heart, her heart with humility and submission before the Lord. As the, as the Gaithers once sang, Mary was the first one who carried the gospel. I don't listen to the Gaithers, by the way. I had to look that up. It's amazing to me that Mary's saying yes, that's going to bring incredible blessing to her life. But it's also going to bring a lot of suffering. Eight days after the birth of Jesus, in fulfillment of Old Testament law, he was taken to 
Jerusalem where he was circumcised by Simeon. You see this in Luke chapter two. And Simeon speaks a word of prophecy into Mary's life. And he says this, Mary, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. Watch this. And a sword will pierce your own soul. Simeon was pointing Mary forward to the gruesome, awful, bloody, gruesome death that Jesus would endure at the cross. At the cross, Mary saw the baby boy whom she raised be crucified amongst thieves. She saw her son beaten where he was unrecognizable. She saw this son whom she loved treated like a criminal. She saw the full wrath of God for the sins of the world placed upon him. Oh, the grief of a mother to see the death of her son, the way that he endured suffering and death on a cross. Mary knew the blessing of being the mother of the son of God, but there was also suffering that would come with it as well. That's true about parenting. That's true about discipleship. That when you know and you have and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes with great blessing, but it also comes with great suffering. That's part of being a follower of Jesus is that you can have Jesus in your life. That doesn't mean that life is always going to be awesome. You're going to suffer. Life is going to be really, really hard. But again, back to what the Lord, the angel of the Lord told Mary, Lord's favor is upon you. The Lord is with you. Foundational truth to stand upon when you walk through suffering in life. God's favor is upon you. The Lord is with you. So as you walk through suffering in this life, as you face difficulty, as Mary is going to face the Lord promises his presence in our life. He's gonna be with you. He's gonna walk with you. And indeed, what Jesus did for us on the cross was the very reason why he came, that he was a baby born for sacrifice. We just sang it together. He's the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. That atonement for my sin and your sin was now paid for in full by Jesus at the cross. Christmas is significant, not just because of a baby, but because of what that baby came to do, and that's to go to the cross to die in your place, to set you free, to provide eternal life, to enable you adoption into God's family. For this baby would grow, become a man. He would die in your place, but indeed he would be buried and he would raise again on the third day. He would defeat death himself. That not even sin, death, hell, and the grave could hold him down. He's the conqueror and the victor of all time. He's the winner of winners. He's the king of kings. And we can celebrate and honor him and glorify him today. You can trust in him. That's who he is. That's who Mary has inside of her. You see, Christmas is a great annual reminder that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you and I, we are great sinners, but Jesus is an even greater savior. 
You see, God put Jesus in Mary's womb so that you could have Jesus in your heart. What Mary had physically inside of her, we spiritually have inside of us. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, watch this, but Christ lives in me. Mary had Jesus physically inside of her. You, if you are in Christ, spiritually have Jesus inside of you. He's in you. This is what he came to do. This Christmas is a time for us to humble ourselves before this king and to say, I am the Lord's servant. Oh God, that you would do with my life whatever you will. Mary here is experiencing the joy and the peace and the freedom of living a surrendered life. As she is saying, Lord, do to me according to your word. Whatever you have planned, my life is yours. God, have your way with me. And the danger that you and I face is when we try to allow our hearts to step out of that. When you and I step away from saying, God, you can have all of me. When we say, Lord, I want just a little bit of this. At least a misery, pain, confusion. And for the rest of your life and my life, it is a fight to stay here. In this posture that Mary is in saying, I'm the Lord's servant. Do to me according to your word. What are you, whatever you have for my life, I am yours. I'm submitting myself completely to you. If you're not here today, all oh, that you would pray, even right now, as you're sitting and listening to the preaching of the word, you would posture your heart and say, God, I want to surrender all of my life to you. God, you can have all of me. I am your servant. May it be done according to your word. My life is yours. Christmas is also a time to celebrate because it compels us to erupt with joy over the Lord's arrival to erupt with joy. I love that word. What we see is that uh, when um, Mary arrives and she sees Elizabeth, she greets her. And as soon as she speaks, Elizabeth is overcome. She's overwhelmed because John the Baptist, who's still in utero, is dancing. He is celebrating. He hears the voice of, of the mother of the Son of God through his mother. It's amazing. And then we see Elizabeth. She's full of the Holy Spirit, the text says. And she is so overcome, she begins to just rejoice. I can't believe that the mother of my Lord is coming to see me. Who am I? I mean, okay, let's, let me just press Paul. This is Elizabeth. Her husband has served in the temple. He's a big deal. Zachariah's a big deal. Mary is nobody. She's a young teenage girl. And yet as she comes into Elizabeth's presence, she's like, how is it possible that you would even come and see me? Oh, how honored I am that the mother of my Lord would come and see me. And then we see Mary respond. We see it there in the text. It's called the Magnificats. Okay, it's a song. Mary goes into a song of praise over what God has done. She erupts in worship. It's called Magnificat because in the Latin, 
the first word, magnify, it's used there in the text, is what magnificat is. It's magnify. She says that my soul magnifies the Lord. She's exalting in the Lord. She's praising God for his kindness, verses 46 through 49. She's praising him for his kindness that he has shown to her. She is erupting in worship over what God has done for her, that he has sent his son to be her savior. Which, by the way, this flies in the face of the Catholic teaching that that Mary was perfect. She was not. We see there and there at the text as she is singing, he is God, my savior, verse 47. She was a sinner just like us and she needed redemption and salvation through her son, the son of God. And here she is basking in amazement that God would even choose her. He would show kindness to her. It's amazing. You see, we often think that God works through the powerful, the wealthy, influencers, those who are movers and shakers. God didn't choose a daughter of King Herod. He didn't choose some wealthy, influential girl from uptown Jerusalem. He chose the humble, the meek. This young girl from Backwoods Galilee, a girl named Mary, who in most other circumstances would grow up in poverty, get married, have babies, and die. And the world would have never heard or known about her at all. But God loves to work in most extraordinary ways in the ordinary situations. God loves to display his power through the weak. He loves to work in the forgotten, the unexpected. You see, what we see here is she is boasting in the kindness of God that he would work not through the powerful, but through the lowly, through the humble, because God loves to display his kindness in that way. She praises him for his mercy, verse Easy, Bruce. Verse 50. She praises him for his strength, verses 51 through 52. I mean, think about the proud and the powerful that God has brought low, right? Pharaoh, Haman, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Sennacherib, Absalom, proud men, powerful, wealthy, military might, and yet God toppled them and brought them down from their thrones. You think about modern examples. Hitler, Mussolini, Mao Zedong, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, Fidel Castro, mighty, powerful, wealthy men all brought to nothing. God humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God exalts the lowly. lowly. Here we see Mary praising him for his strength. She praises him for his goodness. Verse 53, she's quoting Psalm 107, verse nine. She's praising him for his goodness towards those who hunger ultimately for him. She praises him for his faithfulness. Now, as you're reading this song of Mary, this Magnificat, it may call to mind uh, 1 Samuel chapter two, where Hannah uh, hears word that she is pregnant with Samuel. And she erupts in worship of God over what he has done with this baby. Now Mary's doing the same thing. 
Maybe on the four-day journey that she's making all the way to Elizabeth's house, she's rethinking through scripture and she calls to mind 1 Samuel 2, thinking of Hannah and her worship. And here she is exalting in God, her savior, that God has been faithful to keep his promise. God has not forgotten his people. God is faithful. He has kept his promise. Just as God promised Abraham, just as God promised David, I'm gonna send forth seed of the woman, Genesis 3. I'm going to send forth one who's going to keep the covenant. And Mary is just basking and worshiping and erupting in glory to the Lord. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? What's your impact point? It's this. In your heart, joyfully celebrate the Lord's coming. In your heart. What we see happening here is Mary is so overcome. She's so overwhelmed by the presence of God within her and the good news of what has just happened. She erupts in worship. What a picture of what you and I must do this Christmas as we are to erupt in worship, to praise God for what he has done, to be amazed that God would send forth his son for us. This past Friday, our family went hiking up in North Alabama and quite literally every tree was barren. Everything was dead. The ground was covered in brown leaves. And what looked around, it was a winter covered forest of just deadness. That's kind of like what Israel was experiencing up until this point. Spiritually, they were dry, longing for a fresh word from God, waiting for God to move, hoping, pining for him to finally show up. And as I was walking around the forest on Friday, my thought was, it appears like everything is dead. But I know it's not true. Because beneath my feet, Underground, something's stirring. In the midst of a cold, dead winter, God is on the move. Because here in a few months, life is going to spring forth. A brand new year, a brand new life that's going to come forth out of the ground. And as Mary and all of Israel is living what feels in like a winter that never ends, life is stirring. God is doing a work. He's about to send forth his son. Life is about to break through. Maybe you're in a season right now where it feels like you're in a bleak midwinter. Be encouraged. God is still at work. Life is coming forth. What you see and what you feel is not the final verdict. God is is coming. He is working. And this Savior who came 2,000 years ago is coming again. And he promises a future of no more death, no more suffering, and no more pain. And you may be walking through a dry spell right, right now. I want you to know life is coming. And that is worth worshiping and celebrating because Jesus is the one who has come to rescue us and to save us. So let us worship and adore him.